The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. everyone so glad that you are here I want to just begin by adding my public words of lament in response to the tragedy that we've seen that's taken place in Florida yesterday and uh, may truly we as the people of God mourn with those who mourn grieve with those who grieve and may God give us the wisdom and the will to respond to the horrors of white supremacy and mass shootings in our country now as we turn our attention to the scriptures will you join me in prayer let's pray together Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together, to gather, to celebrate family, our family, our community of faith here at IBC. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, would you speak and would you move in our midst? God, I yield myself to you. Would you use me in these next few moments to bring clarity to your word, to bring the story of your son, our savior, the Lord Jesus, in a way that would cause us all to respond as is fitting for our lives this day. And we pray this in his name, the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, this is family weekend at IBC. It's a a time that we celebrate our family of faith. We celebrate our community of faith. And this morning, I want to walk you through a story of Jesus. And, And it's one of my favorite Jesus stories in all the Gospels. And I realize I say that a lot about stories about Jesus, but but this one is a, a really special one to me that I think um, conveys something of the family that we long to be, something of the community of faith that we long to be. Interestingly, this is a story that tells about the intersection of a man, his family, his community of faith, and Jesus. And it tells us about the kind of community of faith that we want to be as we follow Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're new to IBC, this story will give you a sense of who we are and what we're on about as we follow after Jesus. If you're here and you've been a part of IBC for a long time, this is just a reminder of who it is that we're called to be as we follow after Christ. So we'll be looking at this story this morning, and interestingly enough, this is the longest of all miracle stories recorded for us in the Gospels. And it is uh, the longest story of Jesus' interaction with one particular individual that we get in all the Gospels. So it tells us that something about this story shows us something really important about the bigger story of which it is a part. It's a story that's told in six scenes. So buckle up, because we're going to make it through all six scenes this morning. Look with me at scene one, John chapter nine, beginning in verse one. We read, as, it went al- as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. I love this story, and the first thing that I want you to notice about this story is the words in verse 1, he saw the man. 
Jesus saw the man. And in a story that's all about a miracle of a blind man receiving his sight, you can imagine that the verb to see is a really big part of the story. But John very explicitly says the first person to see in this story is Jesus. Jesus saw the man. And it just reminds us that Jesus sees people. Jesus sees all kinds of people. There are no people in the world that Jesus overlooks. And that's good news, isn't it? Jesus sees people. In the first century world, uh, there were not the kinds of opportunities for a person who was blind like we have more and more in our world today. And so in the first century world, oftentimes a person who was born blind was um, was consigned to a life of begging. And in fact, we're told later in the story that this man was a beggar. And in their world, like ours, it's easy to look away, to, to fail to see a person who was begging. And in their world, like is often true in ours today, sometimes people see, but they see the disability and not the person. But Jesus sees the man. And this changes everything. As we see the story play out, we see that even the man's uh, neighbors don't seem to see him. And yet Jesus saw him and he moved towards him. And this tells us something really important about the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be the kind of church as we follow Jesus who see people. See people who are marginalized, see people who are excluded, see people who are hurting, see people who are in need, and like Jesus, to move toward them. We want to be a church that, like Jesus, really sees people. So the disciples asked him, Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? That's an interesting question, isn't it? The disciples seem to think that the world operates by karma. You get what's coming to you. But Jesus obliterates that way of thinking about God. That Jesus, in his response, makes clear that if you have understood God to be vindictive, just looking for an opportunity to punish people for their sin, then you have misunderstood God. Jesus says, in effect, I have come to rehabilitate your view of God, to show you what the real work of God looks like, what God is really up to in the world. And it's not so much about the work of retribution as it is about the work of restoration. And we want to be a church that helps rehabilitate the world's view of God to help them to know that, that our God is not so much a God of, of divine retribution, but of divine restoration. And that there is coming a day when everything that is wrong with this world will be made right. That there is coming a day when everything broken in this world will be made whole. That there's coming a day when everything marred in this world will be made beautiful. That's the story we tell over and over and over again because that's the story that guides our lives as we follow Jesus into the world to rehabilitate people's view of God. God loves this world. And we want to be a community who demonstrates God's love for the world. That's the story that guides our lives together as a faith community. So, so then we see what Jesus does. This is very peculiar, right? 
Jesus sees this man, moves towards him, and he spits on the ground and makes mud. That's disgusting, right? Then he wipes the mud on the guy's eyes. Now, apparently in the first century world, they actually believed that saliva had medicinal effects. And apparently when it's divine saliva, it actually does, right? Because Jesus makes the mud, rubs it on the guy's eyes, and he sends him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and John, in telling this story, tells us what the word Siloam means. He said, this is the word that means sent. Now, anytime that you're reading the Gospels, and the gospel writer translates a word for you, that means pay attention, right? That means he's trying to make a point that he doesn't want you to miss the meaning of this particular word. So he translates the word salom. It's the pool that means sent. Now, did you catch the use of the word sent all the way back up at the beginning of the story? Jesus talks about we must do the work of the one who sent me. And Jesus, throughout the gospel of John, refers to God as Father, most prominently, but, but the next most common way that Jesus refers to God in the Gospel of John is the one who sent me. The one who sent me, the one who sent me, the one who sent me. And then when he gets to the end, the end of the story, Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, and he says to them, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And now the sent one sends this one to go wash in the pool called sent. Isn't that interesting? Frederick Dale Bruner in his commentary on John's gospel says about this word, he says, I believe the missionary is the best contemporary English translation of our word. That word sent is apostello in Greek. It is missio in Latin from which we get our word mission and missionaries. I believe missionary is the best contemporary English translation for our word. Every new convert, and so every candidate for baptism, is asked first to go wash in the pool of Christ the missionary. I love that. And then to come back healed, cleansed, and empowered to do, as this blind man will now do for the remainder of this chapter in his own community, the work of Christ the missionary. Around Irving Bible Church, we talk about God's calling on our lives, on our community, to be a multi-ethnic movement of missionary disciples formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. God has called us to become a more fully multi-ethnic church because he has put us in one of the most ethnically diverse cities in the country, and he wants us to reflect his heart for our community. A multi-ethnic movement of missionary disciples, an admittedly clunky phrase, and yet it is intended to make clear that we are disciples who follow the missionary Christ. Christ the missionary. The sent one who now sends us as his sent ones into the world. This morning at 9 o'clock before this service began, I had the opportunity to go and spend some time with some missionaries that we have partnered with uh, for the K people in India over the course of the last 25 years. And the stories of life transformation through the gospel, the stories of life transformation that have come through the translation of the scriptures that we've been able to provide to that people in their own native language over 25 years are unbelievable, beautiful, remarkable. And so just the opportunity to be with them this morning inspired me. We want to be a church that supports missionaries around the world and that live as missionaries in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, where we live, work, play, and learn. Because we are missionary disciples who follow Christ, the missionary. That's scene one. We'll move a little more quickly through the rest of the scenes, right? Look with me at scene two. 
scene two. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. I'm, I'm right here. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. And he sent me to the pool of Siloam to wash and I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. Now, this, uh, this I, just, I just love this little scene. They're standing there right in front of him. Is this him? Is this not him? Is this him? Is this not him? They're going back and forth. He's like, I'm right here. Right? It's me. And there is certainly a touch of humor here, but there's also a touch of tragedy. Because the fact that they're debating whether it's him is certainly an indication of the fact that they've, on the one hand, had a hard time believing that a miracle has taken place, but it also seems to highlight the reality that they haven't really seen him. That's scene two. Scene three, look with me. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It is he who opened your eyes. And the man replied, he's a prophet. I, I have to just imagine. We, we don't get punctuation. We don't get body gestures. But I have to imagine this guy's like taking a shot in the dark. Yeah, I don't know. He's a, he's a prophet. But, but isn't this interesting? They are all bent out of shape because Jesus has healed the man. He's done this miracle on the Sabbath. These Pharisees, these sort of uptight religious folk, are all upset because in their estimation, Jesus hasn't kept the rules. And the rule is no work on the Sabbath. And so they see Jesus as a rule breaker because he made mud on the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath command in the Old Testament was to, that you weren't to work on the Sabbath day. And yet what the Pharisees had done is that they had added all kinds of stipulations on what constituted work. And just spitting in the ground and rubbing it in and making mud was considered work. And so these people are more concerned about the mud than they are about the man. Jesus has broken the rules. And this story makes it abundantly clear to us that for Jesus, religious rules don't, don't matter nearly as much as people do. You see, we say a lot around here that the way of Jesus isn't so much about rule keeping. It's about people keeping. Because rules aren't made in the image of God, people are. Yes, Jesus changes our character. Jesus makes us holy, but not by keeping rules. That he transforms us, makes us holy by spiritual practices like keeping Sabbath. But the point isn't to make us rule keepers. It's to make us people keepers. So if you're looking for a church that's really good at following all the rules, you might find yourself a little frustrated here. Because we're not so much about following rules as we are about following Jesus, the people keeper. We want to be 
people keepers in our community and around the world. Now, next scene, scene four, the man and his dysfunctional family. <laughs> Look with me, scene four, beginning in verse, what does that say? Those numbers just keep getting smaller and smaller, don't they? <laughs> what is that, 18? They still did not believe that he had been blind, and so they, uh, and, and they had received, and they received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now and who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. Now his parents said this, John tells us, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, ask him, he's of age. Now, this little scene in the story really gets under my skin this weekend in particular. This weekend, my wife is with our 18-year-old son in New York City. She's moving him into his college dorm. Um, we didn't realize that family weekend was also gonna be move-in weekend when we planned this months ago, and so it's been kind of hard for me, the fact that I'm here while they're there. She's moving him into his college dorm, and I was doing pretty okay with it. Like, I dropped him off at the airport, and I was pretty emotional in that moment, as you might expect, and, and I went home, and I was doing okay, and I got up then yesterday morning, and I was doing okay. I was doing okay, Wayne, till, till I went to go take a shower, and I grabbed my towel, and underneath my towel was his little blue blankie from when he was a toddler. And I just lost it. I mean, I'm standing in the shower just boo-hooing, right? And so I read this story and it makes me mad, right? Because I'm like, if, if somebody's treating my kid that way, right, nobody messes with my boy. And they're like, huh, he's, he's of age, ask him. This, this young man, and his dysfunctional family. But, but why did they respond this way? Well, because they knew that if they acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, they would be put out of the synagogue. And if you think about that, if, if you were to be put out of a church in our community, well, you've got a whole bunch of other options. It's kind of not that big a deal. Fine, we'll just leave and go down the road. But in the ancient world, there was one church in town, the synagogue. And if you got excluded from that. You were excluded from religious life. You were excluded from your religious community. You were excluded from your social circle. This was a really big deal. And that's why they know we, we can't say anything because we have so much to lose. And so with a shrug, they say, not our problem, right? Ask, ask him. Scene five. In my notes, I titled this scene, The Man Pokes the Bear. I love this. Scene five, verse 21. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling you the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already. And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Right There he is poking the bear. I love it. Then they hurled insults at him and they said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that is remarkable. 
You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. There is no record of a healing of a blind man, a miraculous healing of a blind man in all the Old Testament. It's only when Jesus comes along. Nobody's ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And you need to not miss it. I don't think this is just they threw him out of the room or they threw him out of the building. They threw him out of the synagogue. Right? He is now an outsider, alone, excluded from the only community that perhaps he's ever known. They threw him out. And, uh, and what we see here is that this man's life has now been radically transformed through this encounter with Jesus. Not just because he has received his sight, but now he's excluded from his religious community. And this scene makes me say, God, protect us from ever knowing too much with too much certainty lest we find ourselves working against your purposes in your name. Because that's what the religious people are doing in this story. We want to be the kind of church that goes after and includes those who have been marginalized, those who have been excluded, to offer a place of welcome and, and hospitality to find home here with us. Scene five, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I love that, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out and he went and found him. The man didn't find Jesus. Jesus found the man. And wherever you are this morning, whatever you're facing, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Jesus is looking for you today. Jesus is looking for you today. And Jesus says to him, do you believe in the son of man? Interesting, this little phrase, son of man, it's actually taken from the Old Testament and it referred to the eschatological bearer of salvation. And you go, okay, Jones, put that into real people terms. This little phrase, son of man, pointed to one who was to come in the future, who would bring rescue, who would bring freedom, who would bring forgiveness, who would bring restoration, who would bring wholeness, who would bring justice, who would bring peace. Do you believe in the son of man? Jesus says. And the man says, who is he? And Jesus says, you've seen him. And in fact, the one who speaks to you, it's me. And the man says, I believe. 98 times through the Gospel of John, we see this little word believe, 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 believe. It's the invitation to all of us. Trust in, put your confidence in Jesus. And the man says, I believe, and he worshiped him. And interestingly enough, notice what Jesus doesn't do. 
right? Jesus doesn't go, no, 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 no. Worship God alone. You don't worship me. No, no, no. Jesus receives this man's worship. Do you believe in the Son of Man? I believe, and he worshiped him. Now, as we come to the conclusion of this story, we find that at the very heart and center of the story are the man's words back in verse 25. He says, one thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. And my question to you this morning is, do you have a story like that? Do you have a story that, that goes like, I was, but now. My story goes all the way back to my freshman year of high school. I was a kid that had grown up in the church. I, I was a pretty good kid, but uh, but I found myself at this stage in my life like many kids who were dealing with all kinds of self-doubt, self-contempt, shame. And I came one night to a, a, a worship service that was filled with teenagers and I heard a guy get up there on the stage and share the gospel. And I'd heard it my whole life, but that day I heard it for me. That Jesus died to bear the sin and shame of the world. That Jesus died to bear the sin and shame of me. And that Jesus was raised from the dead three days later in order to secure the promise of forgiveness and the hope of new life. New life now with purpose and meaning and life forever with him. And I heard it for me. I was, but I heard the gospel and now Jesus is alive in my life. I have forgiveness. I have the promise of heaven. I have eternal life that begins now, do you have a story like that? And if you don't, today can be the day that is the hinge moment in your story by trusting in that good news. But friends, if you have a story like that, then you have a story to tell. I was, but now. May God help us to be the kind of community, the kind of family that as we follow Jesus, that we really see people, that we move toward people with compassion and grace, that we embrace those who have been marginalized and bring them into the life of our family, that we don't get so caught up in rule keeping, but in people keeping, that we would live following Christ the missionary as his multi-ethnic movement of missionary disciples formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we come this morning just to say thank you for the opportunity to be here to celebrate, to have joy in our midst, and now to go and have joy in our midst as we party together. But God, I, I just pause in this moment to create a space, an opportunity for any who need to respond to your invitation in their lives today. God, that they would be able to say, yes, I have a story. And then maybe that story has a hinge moment today. I was, but now. God, that this morning, if there are any here who have never trusted in Christ, that they would hear this message for themselves. Jesus bore the weight of the sin and shame of the world, your sin and shame on the cross. And he triumphed over it through his resurrection 
securing for us the promise of forgiveness and the hope of a new life, a new life that begins now and that will continue with him forever, that is ours simply by trusting in what he's done. To be able to say, Lord, I believe. I wanna worship you with my life. God, for all of us who have that kind of story, may we be storytellers. Send us out, we pray, as your missionary disciples in the world. And we pray this all in the name of Christ the missionary. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.